Are you fake laughing for levels? Yep. <laughs> it sounds kind of real. You're getting good at <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the athletically young, globally hip, and victoriously lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis. I will be victorious over you in, in this, this office pool. pool. No, you won't, because Argentina just won. <laughs> soccer talk? Yeah, we're sorry, talking <laughs> soccer. Anyway, that, that was quick. It was over. Um, How are we doing, guys? Pretty good. This is our last full episode until August. Yes. Jesuitical is about to go on vacation, mm-hmm. and I'm about to go on vacation, and I'm so excited. Yeah, so we, you guys, uh, if you're students or teachers, which many of you are, you get a summer break. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've decided to reward ourselves with a summer break. <laughs> um, no, but it is, our, as Olga said, it's our last full episode until August, but we do have a couple interviews that we've been holding on to that are really, really good that we'll be sort of sprinkling in our feed throughout the summer. So, uh, be on lookout and we have a lot of great uh backlog content so if you haven't listened to jesuitical through the whole now is the time to binge mm-hmm. now is the time to binge but we have our last full episode today yep. yeah so what's on tap zach so we are joined this week in studio by one of our patreon supporters john doherty who has brought us some uh new jersey brewed beer uh, so we're drinking the lb ipa uh from new jersey beer co we Love our patrons. We Mm -hmm. love, especially if they bring us beer. Um, So thanks, John. And cheers, guys. Cheers. And who are we talking to this week, Olga? This week, we're talking with Rachel Held Evans. She is a columnist and a New York Times bestselling author. And earlier this month, she published her latest, Inspired, Slaying Giants, Walking on Water, and Loving the Bible Again. And by we, you mean me and Zach, because yeah. you were actually sick when I we recorded this interview. Out. Yeah, so. which I, I've i been reading the book, and it's really, The Bible really... or the book? Well, I've been reading the Bible, <laughs> but I've also, as someone who didn't grow up reading the Bible, this book has been really interesting to read alongside uh, scripture hmm. stuff, so I'm yeah. sorry I missed it. All right, now it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Last week, we talked about uh, what was going on at the U.S.-Mexico border, uh, where the Trump administration was pursuing a zero-tolerance policy, which resulted in families being separated. Um, Soon after we recorded that episode, President Trump signed an executive order that stopped the policy of family separation, but there you know, are still desperate families coming to the border and there are Catholic groups that are trying to help these families. Yeah. So Catholic groups have been responding. Uh, Catholic charities, uh, especially um, ones in border towns um, in Texas, have been uh, seeing a surge in donations, both in boxes of, you know, supplies and clothes and uh, things that uh, migrants are greeted with um, when they are sort of released from detention centers uh, and also cash donations. Mm -hmm. And also the bishops have reported that since June 20th, they've been receiving hundreds of calls for people asking to foster detained kids. So it's really tough and it feels like the news is moving at such a pace that's faster than we keep up with. But um, there is still a lot of help that's needed. And we have an article that one of our colleagues wrote, Father James Martin wrote, uh, five ways that you can help migrants or refugees. We, we mentioned it last week, but the the charities that are listed in there and the actions that you can take are still relevant. So check that out. Five things you can do to help migrants or immigrants at the border. Great. What's next, Zach? So students from uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, and organizers from the March for Our Lives group uh, 
got together with uh, Father Michael Flager, who's the pastor of St. Sabina Church in Chicago and St. Sabina parishioners to have a, a rally to kick off weekly marches for peace in uh, the neighborhoods of Chicago. Um, so this is something that uh, St. Sabina has done for the past 10 years, um, but they normally have it sort of on the steps of the church. And this year they kind of uh, made it a much larger event in the parking lot. And it featured... Uh, Cardinal Supich leading an opening prayer and an introduction and also included musical guests Will I Am and Chance the Rapper. And Jennifer mm. Hudson. And Jennifer Hudson. So um, this was, I, I brought this because I thought it was good to see the church sort of, you know, looking at this activist group that's not explicitly Catholic, right? The mm-hmm. the March for Our Lives and sort of le- inviting them into their own space, the church's space, uh, and letting them know they're welcome and that we can work together. Yeah. What's next, Olga? So in the last six months, uh, three priests have been murdered in the Philippines and government officials have reported that they've seen an increase in requests for gun permits from nearly 250 religious workers and 888 of those are from Catholic priests. And you normally need a permit to carry a gun, but I guess that being a priest is... It puts you in a special at-risk category that Mm -hmm. they can carry guns. But so canon law does not prohibit priests from carrying guns uh but the bishops have still come out against the, the priests in the philippines doing this um bishop roberto santos of Blanga uh said he will not allow priests in his diocese to carry arms um and said quote sacrifices and sufferings are part and parcel of being priests it is our calling that is to carry the cross even to be crucified on the cross um pray for priests everywhere but especially um in places like the Philippines and yeah, other violence-stricken areas. right yeah. now, there are a lot of places where priests seem to be targeted. So pray for that. What's next, Ashley? In Kenya, a bishop has suspended a priest for rapping after mass. Uh, it's, Wait, well, so you mean like rapping like, as in like hip-hop? L- yep, yep. Got it. Like okay. not not rapping presents, rapping words. Um, <laughs> Father Agolo <laughs> has been he's a very charismatic priest. He attracts a lot of young people to his church. Um, and so after the mass, after the celebration, he changes clothes, puts on a T-shirt and a red mm-hmm. bandana and raps about God and about um, young people living up to their potential that, you know, he encouraged people not to use drugs and to pursue work and to love Christ. Right. Um which I think sounds pretty cool, but mm-hmm. his uh, his bishop has uh, suspended him for a year to give him time to reconsider his ways um, and said that every institution has its own code of conduct, which apparently wrapping violates. Well, yeah, we don't we don't know why mm-hmm. exactly uh, he was suspended from ministry. Uh, we do know that his parishioners are disappointed. And right. if it's because of the wrapping, then I am also disappointed. I think it is a good part of the new evangelism. Yeah, no, I, parishioners have even said that they're going to, I don't think this is a good reason not to go to mass, but parishioners have said they will no longer come to the church uh, for mass or for the other activities that he offered, which it just seems, you know, counterproductive. To- right, right. And, he, and again, we don't have all the information, but but I think we can all personally say that faith and rap can go together really well. So. Yeah. Both of you have written about that in the American context. Mm-hmm. We have said this before. Yeah. <laughs> Pro, pro rap pro, and hip hop. Pro and rap and uh, religion. But there are some things I am against. Uh oh. Oh no. What's <laughs> next, Zach? So, our next story comes from uh, Denver, Colorado, where uh, there's a new group of people who are dedicating themselves to nurturing their soul which I'm, I, I'm for, mm-hmm. but while strengthening their body, uh, called swole.catholic. And that's um, the part you're against? It's just, I hate going to the gym. And, so, uh, and for those who don't know, swole 
uh, is a slang term for bulking one's muscles up <laughs> by going to the gym, according to Swole Catholic. <laughs> so uh, get your soul hole and your body swole. No. Okay. So I I have a, I don't know what that meant, but uh, this group I think is pretty cool. They started in Denver and now it's kind of like a loosely based online community where they have chapters in different cities um, and each has their own flavor. Uh, some women in Florida have a running group in which they run and pray the rosary. Wow. Um, other, another community. Two and- things I should be doing and <laughs> have trouble doing both. Mm-hmm. Another group in North Dakota, uh, they have a Bible study and then do some lifting. Mm-hmm. So Two things I should be doing and have trouble doing <laughs> both. You know, it's, I, it, it, it's just that there's I already have a lot of Catholic guilt and this like <laughs> adds like a bodily element to my right, Catholic right. guilt. But I, I do enjoy seeing people get creative about the ways that they do build Catholic communities um, like podcasts. And this is what it's about, right? Like, fi- <laughs> like lots of people go to the gym. You should try to integrate. Churches should try to integrate with people's interests and in mm-hmm. where they're spending a lot meet of their time. At. Right, right. Yep. And they just won't meet you. Nope, they will not. <laughs> So to our listeners, what are some surprising ways you guys are building Catholic communities? We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, jesuitical at americamedia.org. And now we are very excited to welcome Rachel Held Evans, a New York Times bestselling author and blogger. Welcome to Jesuitical, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really thrilled to be here. We're I enjoy the podcast. so excited to have you. So your new book, uh, it's coming out in June. Is that that's right? That's right. And it's called Inspired, Slaying Giants, Walking on Water and Loving the Bible Again. So we're going to get to the again part later, but you grew up loving the Bible. It was like a formative part of your childhood. Is that right? Can you talk a little bit about the role it played? Yeah. I grew up evangelical Christian, so it was like the most important thing in my life. Um, Besides like my parents. And And Eggos. Sesame Street. Yeah. And Eggo Waffles. Yeah. It was, uh, yes, I grew up, you know memorizing large portions of Romans and Corinthians before I was even 10 or 11. You know, we memorized them in yeah. Sunday school and in church. And uh, I mean, just to let you know just how much of a Bible nerd I was <laughs> growing up. I was in high school. I was on the homecoming court representing the Bible club. <laughs> they gave repre- <laughs> representation to the Bible club? They gave, yes. Every club got wow. a representative, and I represented Bible clubs. So I was very, <laughs> I was the president of the Bible club. So that what do you, like what do you wear, Don, to represent that? <laughs> it was very much a participation trophy, kind of a homecoming. I see. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, and people kind of, people referred to me as like a Bible thumper, yeah. and, you know, and, I was and, the person. I was witnessing to the Catholics, you know, yeah. sorry. Okay, so so for Catholics who, you know, might not have grown up with such um, such biblical literacy, is, is that, that's a central part of evangelicalism, right? So you weren't, you, oh, weren't, yeah. you weren't outside the mainstream of evangelical kids. Well, I maybe a little bit on the extreme like side. Extreme. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was... I'm, my parents were proud and uh, people admired me. So I was I was on the right track for sure. So, yeah, I was definitely I was evangelizing the Catholics in high school 
Um, so apologies to to everyone, all of your listeners. For that. When, when you say you were witnessing, was that mean you were like teaching them Bible verses or seeing that they had some memorized? Oh, I was trying to ensure that they didn't go to hell. I mean, that yeah. was, you know, the <laughs> because we were uh, pretty conservative and um, I kind of thought that everybody except for evangelical Christians were going to hell. So I was worried wow. about you guys praying for you diligently. And like I went to a, a public high school, but it was in a really I'm, I'm from Dayton, Tennessee, which is home of the Scopes Monkey Trial of 1925, yeah. which is a pretty historic event in the evolution <laughs> of evangelicalism in America. Can you j- just briefly describe what happened? What happened in that trial? Yeah. So the, the, the Scopes trial in 1925 um, was when uh a, a local high school teacher was uh, prosecuted for teaching evolution in public schools. And it was really just a publicity stunt put on by the locals around here. They knew that if they convinced a substitute teacher to teach a little bit of evolution in biology class, the ACLU would support him uh, and it would turn into this big trial. And so they indeed, they had this trial of the century uh, here in Dayton and it put um some William Jennings Bryan was representing the um, the the teacher, and um, Clarence Darrow was representing the prosecution, and so it was all these big heavy hitters, uh, and it turned into this you know competition between science and faith. Mm. Um, hey, in fact, you you had a guest a few weeks ago who could have commented on yeah. this about yes, it was could. one of those moments that kind of created that notion that uh science and faith are at odds with one another so it was yeah. evolution versus the bible so that that happened in my hometown and so was the, it something folk- you kind of grew up in like imbibing like was that that was the area yeah, you were breathing the, was that yeah there was this divide between faith and science mm-hmm. yeah you, you hear a lot about it and there's still that attitude of you have to choose between the Bible and evolution. And so a lot of my early perceptions of the Bible um, were that it needed to be defended at all costs. Mm-hmm. And it was contrary to science and that, you know, science was trying to erode it and um, that everybody was always after the Bible. And so it was super important to be able to defend it as um, inerrant and scientific and historical so I spent a lot of time uh, studying those apologetics only for it to all fall apart. <laughs> all right. So what was that like? When did it all fall apart? Well, you know, I kind of went through that thing you go through. A lot of folks go through when they're in uh, college. Uh, I went to a, a small Christian liberal arts college that actually uh, was named after William Jennings Bryan here in uh-huh. uh, Dayton, Tennessee. So I was studying, you know, that side of the debate. Um, and yet when I applied a lot of the same critical thinking to my own worldview, uh, I just realized it didn't work. And the Bible just did not function as a history book or a science book or an answer book or some kind of like owner's manual or a position paper. Like it didn't I, I kind of always heard that, oh, well, you have to have a biblical approach to politics or a biblical approach to um, science, biblical approach to sexuality and gender and all these things. But the Bible doesn't give us these just neat and tidy answers. You can always find another verse somewhere else that contradicts the position that you hold. Um, and so it, it kind of fell apart. On a, you know, the, the that paradigm for reading and interpreting scripture just 
fell apart. Was there was there a specific um, passage or story that was kind of like the the straw that broke the camel's back and you're like, okay, I, I just can't believe this anymore. I think, and, and this is true for a lot of women, I think, who approach the Bible uh, in their young adulthood or, or reapproach it. A lot of it was just the, the, the pervasive presence of patriarchy uh, throughout the pages of scripture um, because the Bible emerged from a, you know, from several patriarchal cultures and societies. Uh, it reflects that reality. And doesn't always say there's not like a lesson at the end of some of these, you know, violent stories about women and troubling stories about women like, and that's why patriarchy is a bad idea. It's <laughs> like it, it doesn't it doesn't self-correct. You right. know, you kind of have to read between the lines to uh, see a, any kind of a, uh, a, a narrative of justice and to see that arc, you have to kind of uh, play around text a little bit. And I've been told you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> it just means one thing. Uh, there's a single lesson in every story, a single message in every verse. The idea is to crack the code, figure out what the Bible means, and then argue that position for the rest of your life. Was that? Uh, but a... the Bible just didn't work. It didn't work that way for me. <laughs> Was that like a painful experience, you know, sort of falling out of love with the faith you grew up with, with the Bible? Or did it feel liberating at the time? Was it desolating? Oh, it's awful. It's so lonely. I mean, and I think sometimes you're so desperate to have other people along with you on this journey. Mm -hmm. The hard part is not questioning God. I mean, that's hard. The hard part of doubt to me is feeling isolated from your faith community, mm -hmm. feeling like, oh my gosh, am I the only one? sitting here in church, not believing a word of this or not sure I believe any of this. That's super isolating and lonely and scary. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was hard. Sometimes it still is. And I mean, I think sometimes I pushed a little too hard to try and force people to have the experience with me. Like, a baby shower is not really t the time to bring up like eternal damnation, and you know, like. But you went for it. About it. <laughs> <laughs> the problem of evil, everyone. Let's yeah. talk about the problem of evil. Um, you know, that's kind of my personality. But uh, yeah, so sometimes I think I push too hard to try and get people to experience it with me. Uh, but it was very, you know, lonely and yeah. disorienting. You mentioned you mentioned in your book that you were kind of able. When you were isolated from your the community you grew up with, you were actually able to reach out to people online and found a community there that you could kind of work through these questions with. Um, it, what was that experience like as as people who are interested in building virtual communities? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's so great because I mean, I know the internet gets a bad rap sometimes, and deservedly so. I mean, you know, <laughs> jury jury's still out on that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's really the most terrible place in the universe. But, you know, occasionally, like for somebody who you know, lives in a small town in Tennessee and, uh, you know, hasn't been exposed to, um, you know, certain ideas, it can also be really enlightening. And so, you know, I just started writing through some of my questions and doubts and uh, posting them to my blog and, um you know, the responses I got just opened my eyes to all these new ways of thinking about faith and also just thinking about biblical interpretation. I mean, I remember once just writing, hey, so the story of Abraham and Isaac, what's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> that 
not exactly like ideal parenting in my mind, but like Abraham gets praised for his faith, even though he was willing to sacrifice his own son. That seems like not the, the, the moral lesson there seemed a lot murkier to me yes. as an adult than it did as a child, which you'd think as a child, it would just freak you out. But, but so, that, and I remember just posing that question thinking, I wonder if anybody else feels this way. And one, the responses they poured in were affirming that, oh, hey, you're not the only one to wrestle with the Bible and wrestle with certain stories and certain texts. And then two, you know, people would chime in, hey, I'm a rabbi. Here's our take on this. Hmm. Hey, I'm a Jesuit. Here's our take on this. Like the, the diversity of responses opened up for me the reality that the Bible is, is at its best when we're wrestling with it together with a diversity of people, people coming from all different perspectives um, and, and different faith traditions. So, you know, the Midrashic tradition of Judaism really impacted how I began to read the Bible, which was um, allowed for a lot more play and imagination and curiosity and, and, and just the Jewish posture towards scripture embraces questions and tensions. It doesn't try to erase those or sweep them under the rug. They really embrace those as part of what makes scripture um, meaningful to a community. It gives us something to talk about. It gives right. us something to wrestle with. These stories are not easy moral lessons. They're hard. They're, they're, they, they intrigue us. They, they bring us together into conversations we might not otherwise have. Um, and then Ignatian uh, posture towards scripture too was actually really helpful to me um, in inviting people to, inviting the reader to imagine themselves in the story. And how does that make this story different? I had just never really been given permission to play with the Bible. And I'd never been given permission to say, I don't know what this means, or this is weird, or even that can't be right. Like I never had permission to challenge the Bible. And yet when I did, when I began doing that, it's like all these new layers of meaning began to unfold. So you mentioned that like using Ignatian methods of Lectio Divina, um, what is that? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, I don't remember when I first encountered um, like the Divina or um, that the Ignatian method of imagining yourself in the story and notice things like what is what is it? What would it be like being in the crowd of the five thousand people when Jesus broke that bread and that fish and it multiplied? Well, you know what? What does the Sea of Galilee? What would that have felt like? You know, blowing off the water and then mm-hmm. the wind and you know what would the crowd have been talking about and what would it have smelled like and sounded like? I love that as a writer. It's important to me to to capture those senses uh, when I'm writing and so engaging in scripture in that way just kind of brought it to life to me. And then just, you know, engaging in, for example, reading uh, womanist interpretations of um, like the story of Hagar. So womanist interpretation is sort of that exists kind of at the intersection of feminist interpretations um, and then black liberation uh, theology perspectives on texts. And so womanist uh, biblical interpreters have found a lot of inspiration uh, in the the character of Hagar, for example, who was the slave of Abraham and Sarah, who um, is the only person in all of the Bible to name God. 
which I think is kind of cool. <laughs> you know, it wasn't yeah. a priest or a warrior or a king. Only one person in all of scripture had the guts, the moxie to name God. What did she name and God? It, uh, she named God after a well where God appeared to her. Bear Laha Roy. And it means you are the God who sees. Um, she had been forgotten. She was a slave. She had been mistreated. Uh, she'd been cast out into the wilderness while pregnant, uh, kind of left to die. And God showed up and God gave her a well and promised her that she would give birth to a son. And that son would be uh, the father of a great nation. And that son was Ishmael. And so she's actually an important figure in Islam as well. Right. Uh, and so she she names the spot where she encountered God and names God, the God who sees, uh, who saw her in her struggle and saw her in her oppression. And so that 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 encounter of an African slave meeting God in the wilderness and naming God is an important story in uh, when black women approach the Bible and see some similarities in their own stories. Uh, and so like just I had never thought about that story that way. And it and encountering that, it moved me away from that idea that, well, the story of Hagar is about one thing and one thing only, and you have to figure out what that's about, to, wow, the story of Hagar takes on all these different shades and shapes depending on who you're talking with. And how cool is that? You know, how um, inspiring is that? Do you feel like part of the problem is that, like, so much biblical exegesis is so bad, like, whether that's in the academy as <laughs> Or, or like also from the pulpit, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I think a lot of that just comes from that posture of we have to figure out what the Bible means. We have to be able to use it, you know, in our current political debates and harness it in such a way uh, as to sort of put people in their place. And so when you come with that posture, it's just like when you come trying to force the Bible into a certain theology or a certain position, uh, it's just you're going to end up doing it poorly because it will not cooperate. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. always this errant story that just upsets the apple cart or a verse or, um, you know, a part of a letter that just doesn't fit the narrative, you know, that challenges, um, you know, so if you say, well, then, you know, this, in this epistle, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Right. Well, and in another epistle, it has, you know, we, we see Priscilla teaching and having authority over men. <laughs> so right. obviously you can't say, well, that applies to all people at all times and all circumstances. Or as Kevin Bacon most famously demonstrated on behalf of the town council in Footloose, <laughs> there is a time to dance. Yes. <laughs> it, it is sort of like a, exactly what you're talking about where, you know, the whole town for religious reasons and for biblical reasons bans dancing. And then mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon, this unschooled, unchurched teenager pulls out the Bible and says, this is a time for dancing. That's exactly it. There's always there's always something that doesn't fit your narrative. And so if you are more committed to your, you know, pet theology and your narrative than, you know, than you are to to the reality of what we find in Scripture, well, then you're going to explain that stuff away in a, in a way that's nonsensical and unhelpful and kind of bizarre. Yeah. So so now um You've had this journey with the Bible from your uh, childhood years to now being comfortable with wrestling with it. Um, how how do you plan? You're you're a mother now. How do you plan on teaching the Bible to your kids? Oh yeah, people ask me this all the time, and I'm like, I don't know. I'm kind of still kind of scared about it. You know, like just the other day, like I realized my kids, my two year old's going to school, and they're they're talking about 
Jesus there. And we've kind of introduced Jesus, but like, I don't know. I just, I just want him to know that like Jesus is not mad and not white, you know, like that's, those are the two <laughs> things I want him to know. You know, Jesus is brown. He's not white. Cause you know, I go into his preschool class and it's like white Jesus everywhere. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think we're just going to have to take like everything with parenting. We're just going to have to take us the day at a time. Um, but one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to shelter him from the Bible stories. Um, I'm glad I'm thankful as, as, crazy as I was as a kid, um, I'm really glad that I grew up knowing the Bible as well as I know it. Uh, that's served me well in life. And uh, I'm glad I was familiar with these stories. And I'm glad I could find my way through a Bible pretty easily. I want that same thing for my kid because I still believe that these stories are significant and important and life-changing. And they've influenced so much of our culture. And they have such a you know, important, there's such an important part of the story of our faith. Uh, I want him to know these stories and sure he's going to get like we all did. He's going to get the, you know, kids version, not the, you know, the violent genocidal <laughs> versions that you actually encounter when you get there. Right. You know, he'll probably sing Joshua in the battle of Jericho and do all the motions, never realizing that that story ends with, you know, God commanding Israel to kill every man, woman, and child. Yeah. That's city. A like he'll get, it is a rough one. Oh, yeah. I have to tell you all this. I was reading the other day. Uh, I like to see how children's books take difficult stories and what they do with them. And I found one the other day that was about um, Jericho and about um, Rahab, you know, the prostitute who uh, helped the spies um, check out Jericho. And what, what I thought was funny was the way they phrased her occupation. They said, um, uh, Rahab was able to help the spies because she had guests coming and going at odd hours. <laughs> <laughs> that takes some creativity. So yeah, gonna... <laughs> I was impressed with that. So he's that's the kind of those are the versions he's going to get at first. But I'm okay with that. Uh, I want him to know this, the basics and the stories, and then and then you know when they're older, uh, I hope that we'll be able to equip them to deconstruct those a little bit and to see them in a new light and to be properly troubled by some of them. I want mm. my kids to be troubled by some of the stories in the Bible. I want to remain troubled by them. Nobody should ever, you know, God saved me from the day when the a story about genocide commanded by God doesn't bother me, uh, doesn't raise some big questions. So, uh, but I hope that if we instill in them a love for scripture, that they'll, they'll find that wrestling worth doing that yeah. these stories are worth wrestling with they're important enough to wrestle with awesome so thank you so much for joining us for talking about your new book we have one more question and i think you know oh, where you this know is going is. yes <laughs> if you could canonize any one person living or dead catholic or non-catholic uh biblical or not who would it be and why <laughs> I know. And, and knowing you were going to ask this makes it so much worse because then you like overthink it. Yeah. Big time. So overthought it. And then I love what Sarah Silverman said with the Mr. Rogers. I was oh, like, I oh, that was a that's good a good one. one. Yeah, that's a good one. I kind of think maybe Sojourner Truth would be a good one. OK. She was just a badass. She was a, a former slave who advocated for herself <laughs> and she was not educated. and. Um, she wasn't kind of the statesman that some of, you know, Frederick Douglass and others were. Um, but she, uh, 
yeah, she was one of the first to articulate feminism in a really cool intersectional kind of a way. My favorite Sojourner Truth line is when she was told by men that women shouldn't have as many rights as men because Jesus Christ was a man. And she, her famous comeback was, where'd you get your Christ? God and a woman. Man had nothing to do with it. <laughs> so, I've, always, I've always kind of admired her and I, I think she'd be a good choice. <laughs> that sounds like the stuff, the stuff that saints are made of. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for listening to the show (laughs) and for joining us. And so where can people, so the new book is inspired. Where can people find your work? Um, Yeah, you can find me on my, my website is rachelheldevans.com and I blog there and stuff and everything is just Rachel Held Evans, Twitter, Facebook. Awesome. Nice. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Thank y'all for having me. It's an honor to be part of this. Yeah. Bye, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. Bye. All right, now it's time for some listener feedback. First, we have some new patrons. Uh, one is Megan Thal, who is an ambassador. Uh, and then we have someone donating at the $50 level, extra, extra VIP, uh, Joseph Roden. Does that name ring a bell, Zach? It does ring a bell. It, I believe there is some relation to uh, my girlfriend uh, going on there. <laughs> um, it, it, as uh, <laughs> our boss, Father Matt Malone, said, it is a vote of confidence in me in more ways than one. So I'm going to take that as a positive. <laughs> so thank you again to our, our patrons this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that's patreon.com slash Media. And also last week, we asked our Facebook followers to share their consolations and desolations. So if you haven't joined us yet on Facebook, please do that, um, where you can share where you did or didn't find God throughout your week. Um, and it was really nice to hear from you guys for once. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's easier being on the listening yeah. <laughs> end. <laughs> uh, but that's Facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Um, and we love to hear from our, mm-hmm. our, our Facebook listeners because... Uh, you know, we're sharing consolations and desolations, but we're also getting story ideas. So mm-hmm. Lori actually gave us the uh, link for our story about uh, the Kenyan rapper pre-suspension this right. week. So again, if you're like, man, I would love to hear Jesuitical's take mm-hmm. on this, post it in the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. All right. Now it's time for consolations and desolations. Um, I'll go first. I have a desolation this week. Um so last week, the uh, former Archbishop of Washington, D.C., uh, Cardinal McCarrick, was suspended after allegations or sub- substantiated allegations of sexual abuse against minors uh, came out against him. Uh, and this is someone who my mom has worked with for decades, uh, who I've met. I was sitting across the table from him at brunch on Mother's Day this year. Um, and when it came out, it's I learned that this was like an open secret that like a lot of people knew that he had uh inappropriate relationships with seminarians um and so like it seemed like no one was surprised but me um and so one like i it it was hard to learn that this person who like i'd respected had caused terrible terrible pain to uh at least one minor and had abused his power uh, over seminarians um but then it was also 
desolating to see that this church that I love, like as much as it's improved since 2002 when the sex abuse crisis really broke out, um, it still seems like there's this like an environment of secrecy and covering up. And the I guess the desolation is that is that the church still is not just like letting God in and letting the light of truth in. And um, I know, you know, I other people have been far more hurt by this, uh, but it it was difficult to, you know, feel betrayed by my church and to see it not letting God in to like do the work of reconciliation and repentance and redemption that we all need to do as church. So. And, and to experience that on such a personal level, that's yeah. really hard. Um, so yeah, what do you have, Olga? Um, I've got a consolation this week. Um, so for the past few episodes, I've talked about, um, I've been in a really, I've talked, I've only had desolations in previous episodes and I've talked about that um, and how I've been dealing with that. So following last week's episode, I was like, okay, God, I'm coming to you in prayer and reflection and I cannot just be in this dark place. Like I, you need to pull me out of this because it's really difficult for me to go about my day. Um, so then I was just having a conversation with my parents over the weekend and I was, I was turning to them to kind of complain about immigration. And I was like, you know, you guys are immigrants. Like you guys, my parents left before they came to America, they left me behind for a year. Um, so, and then, they, and then they brought me and I was like, you know, you guys have been separated from a child. Like, what was that been like? Like, are you upset at this? And my parents were just super humble and just super faithful in this conversation that we were having and they were just like you know um we came here for a reason and we believed in this blah 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 um but just kind of talking to them i i turned to them in a moment where i wanted to complain and like just be like i hate this country and my parents just were so positive and i was like oh, okay this is god being like okay you wanted a consolation mm -hmm. look at your parents right here and then it was just really really consoling to see God in them, in their story. And this is a story that I've heard like my entire life, but it was just kind of hearing it again this weekend, just really kind of pulled me out of a dark place that I was in. And it was just, it was really great to just look at them. And I was like, I love you guys. Parents are the best. They really they are. Know like, what to say. Even without meaning to, they're just like yeah. amazing. And it's like extending to us too. Mm -hmm. I kept joking mm -hmm. with Olga that Olga's parents are going to be my consolation this week. <laughs> <laughs> Which my mom would have loved. Yes. But what do you have, Zach? So I also have a consolation. Uh, so some exciting news is that my sister is moving to New York City today. Ooh. Yeah. So that's awesome because I haven't had been in the same city as a family member since I was 18, yeah. which some time has passed since then. And with that, so I'm really excited for my sister. Um, but I, uh, there are a lot of other emotions, too. Like I'm pretty anxious for my mom to be like legit empty nesting now. Um, it's also, you know, graduation season. I come from a big family and so there's people graduating, lots of family get togethers, um, that I'm missing out on. So there's a lot of emotions around my sister's move. Um, and so I've been sort of like looking at like, okay, God, where are you? And all these emotions that I'm feeling, um, and my excitement and in my anxiety. And then I realized that like through all of this, like asking where God was, I was praying for my mom and my sister, like really intensely. And, uh, it dawned on me that, you know, God's like, that's where I am. I'm, I'm in that prayer that you are saying for your mom and your sister, Zach, and coming to realize that, that God is in the relationship I have with, with him and with my mom and my sister and the hope that I have for both of them uh, was my consolation this week. So That's awesome. I have high hopes for your sister too. Same. She's going to love this city. I think so. So good luck, Allie. <laughs> and she has her big brother here, so she'll be good. All right. 
Jesuitical is brought to you by American Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Adverbs provided by Bridget Higginbotham. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup SJ. Engineering and design by Angelou Jesus Kanta. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week to Meg from Philly. Send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at AmericanMedia.org. And I will give a final shout out to Angelo. This is sad. This Aww, is his but last also, episode. We're filled with so much gratitude. Uh, <sighs> Angelo has been engineering the podcast uh, for basically a year now. Mm-hmm. Um, and gave us a beautiful <laughs> new logo and Pope yeah. t-shirts. Yeah, if you, the t-shirts that you've seen. Pictures of us. Pictures of us. He's just, oh, he's all around amazing. And most importantly, like lots of, I mean, working on this podcast is such a grace because we're friends with each other. And so mm-hmm. Angelo has been a lunchtime companion, mm-hmm. uh, a happy hour buddy, um, someone you can share your consolations mm-hmm. and desolations with uh, in a work setting. And that is a grace above all. So, yeah. so we're uh, Angelo's miss you. on his way to uh, Boston College School of Theology and Ministry. So we wish him well. Yeah. And he will do great things. Yep. Love you, Angelo. We love you. And we'll miss you. All right. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We will see you in August. August. Have a great summer. <laughs> Hags.